just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Loki Podcast with John Ball from Present Influence. We use Buzzsprout to upload and distribute the Loki Podcast to all major podcasting networks. If you're thinking of starting your own podcast, check out the link to Buzzsprout in the show notes. You could start your podcast today. Welcome. And this week I have a great guest with me. And his name is Nick Diakanastasis. I hope. Yes. Right yes. Hey, hey. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick yeah. is a video presentation skills coach for business owners in very similar line to myself. So it's going to be an interesting chat mm. for me, especially, and hopefully for you too. Also a trained actor, which is something I'm not, and uh, is an ace with, he's uh, talks about acing your public speaking with technique, is all about mm -hmm. that technique of speaking, making the biggest difference to you there. Mm. So welcome to the Loki podcast, Nick. Well, thank you for having me, John. Really great to have you on the show. And I've been mm. looking forward to, to speaking with you. One of the mm. reasons for that is I, I sometimes talk with my guests about, uh, to my audience at least, about how I like some of the guests, what they share on social media, particularly mm. on LinkedIn, which mm. currently is my favorite platform to be on. I'm actually Same. really loving it. It's, it's mm. changed so much to what, it, to what it used to be. It's actually very... Mm aging platform now mm. and you share some some really great videos some fun stuff as well you've got great personality and just just simple things that you share that are really really helpful that mm. uh, that got me uh, got me taking some notice of you and okay. then asking you if you'd be a guest which i'm very glad that you uh, agreed to do okay. and thank you for having me it's, it's a real pleasure. One of the things that you had said, uh, and we just talked about this before we started recording, but you, you changed your bio recently. Yes. And yeah. one of the things you had said about was coaching introverts. And I thought, yeah, like, yeah you know, I'm kind of introverted myself, so we have, mm. we have that in common. And, mm. uh, and we both do public speaking. And I know there's quite a lot of introverts who do public speaking. But you know, mm. I know you've changed that in your bio, and you explained why, why to me. And uh, mm. what I do want to go into with you, though, is uh, why introverts are even thinking about doing public speaking. Surely it's for extroverts. Yeah. Well, ooh, there's a whole lot to unpack here. Um, it's probably less that they want to go into public speaking, not as an a profession, but that they would have to do public speaking as some part of their job. Like, for example, if you're self-employed, like we are, you pretty much have to do some public speaking because it's really hard to find clients if you don't put yourself out there consistently. And one of the most effective ways is obviously to do it via video or face-to-face, -face, even though you know at the time of recording, <laughs> that's not really an option. But yeah, so it's um, 
it's hard to get people to know, like, and trust you. You know, that trifecta that they talk about in marketing. If they don't get to see enough of you and you, your presence, your voice, how you talk, everything just gets so much more of you across than text could. So it's, it's less about wanting to do it because believe me, as an introvert, most of the time, I don't feel like getting on video either. I don't feel like speaking to a crowd, but I'm good at it just because I have the training. So it's about that. It's about picking up um, a skill that is, if not vital, then at least really important. I mean, it's a game changer. So I kind of go from that perspective, not, oh, if you want to be a public speaker, come to me. It's, (laughs) you might just have to do public speaking and might have to get good at it. Yeah. I I take the position that public speaking is no longer really a soft skill. I I still, I kind of balk at people calling it a soft skill because I don't Mm. think it is. Um, Mm. I I think it's a very solid, essential skill and and is being recognized more more as that. And Mm. so calling it a soft skill kind of implies that you don't really need it. And I think in this current business Mm. environment, it's essential, especially especially now that everyone is having to present themselves on Zoom calls or whatever at the very least, right? Mm. but how people present themselves is is really, really important. And, mm. and if you're kind of trying to be a wallflower, blend into the background, that's not going to work. Yeah. And, uh, and that's our natural inclination, isn't it, as introverts? We yeah. want to sit there passively and wait for someone to discover our brilliance. It's like, but they're probably not. There's too much noise out there, so you need to cut through it sometimes. I know. It's one of those things that, that annoyed me, has annoyed me in various uh, environments. That mm. sometimes some of the people you see progressing and getting on are the people who are happy to blow their own trumpet and yep. let everybody know how what they're doing and how well they're doing. And, hey, look, I just did this. And, and yep. you know, I'm, I'm thinking, shut the hell up. You know, it's like, just shouldn't your work be the example that you're going for here? Mm. Let people notice you. And you're right, it doesn't happen. Yeah. You do have yeah. to pipe up a little bit and for introverts that's very confronting (laughs) yeah that is that feels very unnatural i mean even though i went to drama school um then once i stopped performing and that regular exposure to a crowd or to an audience whatever you want to call it once that went away so when i became active on linkedin that was only about a year and a half ago so at that point i kind of lost that I don't want to say comfort, but yeah, that that exposure. So it felt super unnatural. It was like almost day one, again, getting myself on a stage on LinkedIn. I was like, oh my God, strangers are going to see me. They're going to know what I look like, what I sound like. I didn't even want to post, let alone do video. It was like, oh my God. The first video that I posted, I was sick to my stomach. I was like, hi, I'm I'm Nick. it It was bad. It was so stressful. So as an introvert, that is your your tendency. But unfortunately, that's just not how the world is built yeah. right now. And we have to adapt, <laughs> unfortunately, it, and pick up those skills. necessity, right? Um, yeah. More than anything else. Uh, and I, I, don't spend, I don't spend a lot of time with mm. people on the, uh, overcoming the fear of public speaking. And I have mm. some friends, I have some friends who do that. Um, and if someone is really nervous and panicky, then of course, you know, we have something you need to do a bit, of, mm. a bit of work on and have some techniques to help with that. The reason I don't spend so long on it is because it is essential. It's actually mm. a, a critical skill that you just have to get over, regardless of whether you're scared of it or not. Having fear of something doesn't mean you can't do it. In fact, exactly. it you just have to do it with the fear. Mm. And uh, the people who get on, is it much? Was it Mark Twain who said that there are only two types of speak, two types of public speakers? There are um, those those who don't have nerves. That mm-hmm. I get this completely wrong, but um, 
they're yeah only one kind of public speaker maybe but they're essentially people who say they don't have nerves or liars right <laughs> okay. that makes sense yeah. um yeah so i i tend to go with tend to go with that there are very few people who don't have any nervousness whatsoever when they mm. are getting up on a stage or a platform and, and presenting or speaking mm. and it is about using that and yeah the only way to really in my opinion to get over that is mm. practice and doing it yeah it's exposure therapy you need to you need to do it because it doesn't really matter what i or you or anyone tells you until you actually do it and you physically feel that in your body the rush of adrenaline the struggle to breathe all that stuff that might come up or that your brain might just go blank which happens to me sometimes <laughs> when I want to do a video, I know exactly what I want to say. Then as soon as I press record, it's just blank. I have no clue what I wanted to say. So until you get exposed to that and you build tolerance for that, it's probably not going to get any better. Um, and I think that's where we really see eye to eye, that we're both about the technical aspect mostly, and we see it as a skill, Yeah. Um, which is why I, I redid a lot of my content and my headline and everything, because I really wanted to make the point even clearer that is not really about things like mindset or confidence or clearing inner blocks. Or when I see people on LinkedIn, stop me if I get into too much of a rant. But when I see when I see people on LinkedIn um, offering public speaking coaching of of some kind, because right now that's the thing to do, right? We're all locked up. Everyone wants to get online or has to, and everyone's trying to get a slice of that pie. I feel because my feed is just full of people giving public speaking tips or offering coaching. And they yeah. might have nothing at all to do with this topic. You know, I sometimes I don't like to gatekeep, but sometimes I look at these posts and I'm like, well, I'm a trained actor. Like, what's what's your deal? You're like a bartender or you're a chemical engineer. Like, why are you talking about public speaking? <laughs> and yeah, usually they, they refer to it as something non-technical about believing in yourself and this and that and i really have to bite my tongue and not show up on their post and be like this is a lot of crap <laughs> you can't magically manifest the feeling before you do the action like that's not really gonna work that is that is absurd as a concept that you can somehow find embody download like from the universe the feeling of public speaking right. not actually doing it in the first place now i think there is there is a lot to be said for just the simple get up and do it and yeah and certainly for people who have never done any kind mm. of presentation or speaking work before, the nerves thing is mm. a really big issue to get over. But that really is just one of those initial issues because I think it was once you started doing it, once mm. you kind of like broken the ice, I guess, yeah. then you're, you're pretty much on your way. And, mm. and it gets easier every time after that to, mm. a, to a point where you, you may not be able to think it at the start, but you can get to a point fairly quickly where you can enjoy presenting and public speaking and mm. fun whilst you're on stage. You might still be nervous, but you can yes. enjoy it. And um, there, there's a, a lot to know about that. Now, I don't know if you've ever been involved with Toastmasters International or any kind of public speaking groups. No, like. but that comes up a lot yeah. <laughs> when people hear so, so public speaking coaching. I, I have, and I, and I still am. I'm very active mm. in, in Toastmasters, and I mm. do enjoy it. And one of the things I'll sometimes say to people is that, that one of the best things with Toastmasters is it just gets you out there doing it and mm. give guidance. They mm. can't really say that they give a, a thorough education. The stuff that they just don't teach, mm. but uh, you would get from perhaps a, a, an expert presenter mm. or an expert public speaking trainer. Mm that um, is probably too deep anyway for something like Toastmasters. But mm. 
you the feedback you get there is going to be on how many ums and ahs you said which right can be helpful but it's not critical in my opinion mm. and whether you were making eye contact whether you had vocal variety they're, they're good things to work on but mm. they are really the foundation level elements of public speaking mm. and so the technicalities of it and um, don't really get addressed very often unless mm. somebody chooses to actually do a presentation about how to do presentations yeah so mm. so that's how things work in that environment and that's why I, I think what you're talking about is is great because if someone actually wants to be good at this and i think mm. now you know we're a very image obsessed society yeah. generally yeah. Mm. Uh, how you present yourself especially online mm. is really really important mm. and if you are wooden stiff unconfident if that's how you're coming across even if that's not how you are generally yeah. in your life or business yeah it's going to be very damaging what what would be your thoughts about what people really need to address mm. in terms of being able to do better presentations yeah i mean sorry <clears throat> need to clear my throat um they need an outside eye if it, it doesn't have to be somebody else sometimes the other person depending on your relationship with them they might even mislead you because they're going to be like oh that was great even though it wasn't because they don't want to crush your <laughs> confidence sometimes that outside eye might just be the camera a lot of times people are going to record themselves and then they're going to watch themselves back in video and that goes for me as well and they're going to be like oh my god is that is that how that came across because that's not how i was feeling mm. so something you touched upon um just now that really cracks me up because i do that all the time as well and especially when i was still inexperienced is that you sit down right you force yourself to do a video even though you you hate it and it terrifies you and then while you're doing it you feel this you know unstable energy like the adrenaline is rushing your your you think you're going to start shooting blood out of your ears and your nose you know your blood pressure is through the roof sure. and then when you watch it back you're like where the hell is all that nervous energy because what you see when you watch it back is this almost comatose person who's just like hi i'm nick and i want to <laughs> talk because that's how stress often affects people physically like it, it clamps everything down Right. So you might feel all this this nervous energy but it might not necessarily come across that's why it's so important to watch yourself from outside of yourself while you're in the moment who the hell knows what you're doing you might not be able to to accurately gauge that yeah so you need to be able to create that feedback loop where you do it then you watch yourself back and then whatever it is especially if you're quite new to this usually what i need to tell people is more like whatever you're giving you need to give more more tempo more volume more energy especially if you're doing video so you're usually confined to this format so people are limited in terms of what they can see and yeah. how you use the space in your body language you need to give even more and i think that's one of the biggest things that i need to tell people all the time at first i'm like more they're like but i'm, I'm doing a lot I'm like you're really not though <laughs> you think you are because you're so nervous and you feel all this energy you know bouncing around in your head but it's not going outside and the audience I get I find myself getting bored of saying this all the time like a broken record but the audience cannot read your mind. Yeah. They can only read your your body language, your tone of voice, your expressions, they cannot read your mind. So how you feel if you can't get it across, you're on a you're on a you know ineffective path <laughs> with public speaking if you can't affect them and engage them. Yeah. I I think it's a really good point. I was talking with one of my clients yesterday about almost exactly this same thing or mm -hmm. the 
I think maybe I have a, had a slightly different interpretation and I haven't really talked about the sort of thing of being um, you, that your stress kind of shut stuff down. I like, mm. that. I like that. That's a, a good realisation. Yeah. Um, but what I was saying was that I remember my first video, which I deleted a long time ago, which I mm. sort of regret because even though it's embarrassing and hard to mm. watch, I, I would like to see it again just to mm. be able to go back to it and say that's where i was yeah this is where i am now mm. um, because the progression is, is, is unrecognizable and um, mm. remember posting it on youtube and getting all these really negative comments about oh, no. how inauthentic i looked and how i was big fake and phony all the stuff that yeah. goes on in your head and thinking that's what people are going to say that's what they said and yeah. uh, so being an introvert, it was mm. quite a while before I put anything else out on YouTube. Yeah. And after that, it really, it really yeah. scared me off. Um, but uh, I wish it hadn't. I wish you know, now, now I have a bit of a different mindset, a mm. bit different mindset about that. Whereas, like, okay, that stuff is going to happen, but it, the feedback is there for a reason. But mm. you can keep going and pushing through, even mm. when you get that kind of pushback or trolling, mm. which. Uh, Thankfully, I don't get so much now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, bear in mind that not all feedback is, is constructed equally. So just because someone said something negative does not mean it's accurate. So it's good if we can, um, I don't know what to call it, depersonalize, I guess, the feedback and not see it as, oh, everyone's, because again, people, at least on LinkedIn, I'm not really active on other social media, but they tend to fall into two categories. The, um, anyone who disagrees with me or who finds everything I do less than perfect is just a hateful hater who hates. It's just this knee-jerk reaction of dismissing any kind of critique, and it's got, it's got everything to do with them, not yeah. with you. I'm like, you don't know that. It might have something to do with you. <laughs> For all you know, it's good to assess it um, a bit more, a bit more cold-headed way. Or the people, I guess you might be like me, who tend to blame themselves for everything, including how weird other people behave. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, but we're not everyone's therapist. <laughs> How other people choose to behave is not necessarily our fault. So it's about finding that that middle point between what can I use, I guess, like is the feedback constructive, i.e. can I learn something from it? Because if it's just negative for the sake of being negative, there's not there's not really any point in paying attention to that. Like if someone just says, you suck, I'm like, what am I supposed to learn from that now? <laughs> How is this useful? Yeah. Even some butthead get on your rack. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly that. I had, uh, I still have a friend who's a public speaker trainer and mm. he's one of the people who, who trained and inspired me early on. And he, I remember that he would always get somebody to go through the feedback forms at the mm. end of a training session mm. and wheedle out all of the negative feedback mm-hmm. because he didn't want to see it. He didn't want the negativity. And, and, I, and I, I always felt that was a bit... A bit bad. I mean, it would be mm. in my position. I would say instead, we like yeah. stuff that is just abusive or uh, yeah. or not constructive. But if yeah. it's negative and you think, oh well, maybe he should know about that, mm. definitely leave it in because I need to see that. It's like mm. not all feedback is going to be good, and and mm. I think that's that's an important point to raise. Mm. But I do think more importantly is you know, to understand probably most people aren't going to get the level of hate that I got on my first YouTube video. Yeah. How did uh, that happen? Was it just a random fluke or what? <laughs> Had you made a lot of enemies before you uploaded that was, Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was early days of YouTube, I guess, and so there wasn't so much. Uh, there wasn't so much noise on the channels, and uh, right. so so perhaps that's why it got more views. Like most mm. of the stuff that I post on YouTube, take you know, when I started my new 
channel mm. took a while to even get any views and stuff mm. like that whereas in in those days you posted something up people were going to see it oh. and uh, so it was it was a bit different different algorithms and i'm mm. talking um over 10 years ago oh, and right. um so i think that that is essentially why and also perhaps there were more people then before before youtube really started to do anything about guidelines and moderation right. yeah. <laughs> and the likes that that kind of stuff just didn't mm. get dealt with but it was it was a real blow to me mm. because I, you're right i shouldn't have taken it personally but it was all the insecurities that i had yeah that were going through my head that got fed back to me it's like oh shit they do realize <laughs> i'm terrible at this <laughs> that's pretty much the worst when someone throws the worst things that you're already thinking about yourself back in your face that's when it hurts like if usually if it's me, something you don't believe, it's probably not going to affect you anyway. Exactly. If they if they give me feedback that is like, oh, I don't get that. I don't see that at all. Yeah. It wouldn't have, but it, because it was my insecurity yeah. that back to me, it did. It stung. And that that really is the truth of, of insults and um, mm. criticism, really, and the whole, the whole thing of taking it personally. Mm. You're only going to take it personally if it triggers something in you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, there are things that you can easily just shrug off because you know that they're not true, so it's not going to get under your skin. Yeah, so the best thing is remember that you just not let it get under your skin, and if there is something mm. useful you can take away from it, then good, mm. it's constructive criticism, but if it's just abuse, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's really not. But I understand why why celebrities perhaps don't choose not to read their reviews a lot of the time. Yeah, but I it think can be hard is, to keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it is that danger of, well, you, your belief in yourself should be one of the strongest factors, but you do need an external check on that as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's about um, being self-aware. I'm trying not to use any of that jargon like mindfulness, which are sweeping LinkedIn right now, but it's about being self-aware. So that means knowing what your strengths and your weaknesses are uh, and owning them. And, uh, you know, hopefully improving your weaknesses as much as you can, but it's not about... Um, deluding yourself into believing that everything you do is amazing that's not that's not healthy either and that's not productive and especially when it comes to public speaking or performing of any kind i mean the examples that i that i like to use with people are um i think it came up in the thread that we were talking about like yesterday or two days ago when your friend said oh you know um all those crazy people on x factor who show up and they can't sing at all but they think that they can they've got all the confidence in the world like you don't want to be that person yeah be, believe in yourself but in a realistic self-aware way <laughs> yeah exactly i remember the tv show host bill ma years ago saying something like uh, you know this sort of we've bred this whole sort of generation confidence all these people who are essentially just grown up to be complete assholes because yeah they, because they have 100 percent belief in themselves and, and yeah. they don't bother to think about what anyone else actually thinks of them they don't get that yeah. Where it, probably rea reality is that the majority of people spend far too much time thinking about what other people are going to mm. do them, especially more introverted people. Mm. Yeah, we can get, because we're by nature, if we're introverts, we're by nature watchers and thinkers more than doers. So that can really trap you in a bit of a um, vicious circle in your head where you're just stuck in inertia and you're not doing because you think, if I collect one more bit of data, then I'll know. But I'm like, you're not going to know until you actually take action. <laughs> that gives you enough to then say, okay, so here's what worked and here's what didn't. Then you can go from there. Yeah. Mm. I'm very interested that you uh, that you are a trained actor. 
Mm. I, I did drama and theatre studies at university as part of yeah, my yeah. degree. And I decided by the end of that, even though I was invited to go back and do uh, a master's in performance mm. arts, mm. Uh, which I just kind of thought would be like fame. But Yeah. <laughs> as someone who did a master's degree in acting, it was not like fame. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, but this this would have been like, because I was one of the only people in that class who had uh, music as well. Like I played several instruments and could sing mm. a bit. Oh. Not great, but uh, mm. I did a lot of acting. And, and um, I'd say dance, but I mean, it, it was like, oh, like a buffalo dancing. But <laughs> I'd done physical theatre and stuff as well. Yeah. So that, that was all the combination mm. I wanted. And in my head, I didn't have either the, the looks, the confidence or the desire mm. to be poor for long enough to go on with acting and thinking that I actually had any um, any future in that direction. Yeah. So, so I kind of left it behind. But mm. to me, when I discovered public speaking and presenting, mm. that became my channel. Although getting on stage and presenting as yourself is very mm. different to acting, of course. Oh, uh, yeah, it is. You can, you can still apply the, um, a lot of the same techniques. They're transferable, but the, the situation, how you're going to feel about it, is probably quite different. So it is a bit of a learning curve. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was your experience then uh, as acting? You did, you did a, a master's in love, but how, yeah. did, how did that prepare you? Or how did you end up coming down this pathway into yeah. presenting public speaker training? Yeah. Well, that's a whole story. So um, at some point, let's say halfway through my master's degree in acting, I realized that I don't think I want to be an actor for the same reasons that you gave. I was like, I don't want to be poor forever. Right. I'm an introvert. Like, for you know, uh, public speaking is a skill, as we already mentioned numerous times, like listeners take a shot every time we say that. Um, and it, it is something that drains my energy. It's not somewhere where I naturally want to be in the spotlight, in the center of attention. So when I would get up on stage, yeah, I can use technique to not show my nerves, etc. but it still doesn't feel great on the inside. So I was like, how long can I keep living this bipolar life where I don't like the spotlight and yet I thrust myself into it and everyone's looking at me and I don't want them to, but at the same time, I do want them to because that's how I get paid. Ugh, I didn't want to keep doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I also didn't want to be poor. And everybody else, I realized that I wasn't on a very different wavelength than most of my classmates <laughs> because they all seemed to be so excited by it. And they, they didn't seem to mind doing these horrible, you know, customer service, call center, um, waiting jobs, etc. as long as I could supplement their acting because it just lived for that. It gave them so much soul food. That's what we, what we would call it. And... I thought, but I don't, I, I very much do mind having to drag myself to some horrible office job, you know, like nine to five so that I can afford to indulge in performing in the evenings because in the evenings I don't really make much, if any money. It's like, I don't really want to do that. So I graduated anyway, because I was like, I've put too much money to that. So I'll get the degree at least. I can prove like I did this. Um, and then I kind of, for the next couple of years after drama school, I still performed alongside juggling different jobs that I mostly hated because I just thought if I keep going, uh, maybe I'll, I'll find the joy. Maybe right now I'm just in a negative place. Maybe I'm under a lot of pressure because we were, mm -hmm. it was so intense because it's vocational, you know, it's not just sitting and listening to lectures. Um, and then I just kept pushing it for another, I think two or three years. And then alongside I was, if, if I wasn't doing some kind of other part-time office job that I hated, I was uh, tutoring in languages because originally, before drama school, 
I studied English language and literature. And I'm a native bilingual. I'm half Greek, half Swiss. So Greek and German are my native tongues anyway. So I've, I've been I've been teaching on and off until about last year uh, for you know, more than 10 years because I started when I was still a uni student at my language degree. So I was kind of doing all that at the same time. I was like, this is ridiculous. And I, I'm rushing around like a headless chicken and I don't feel like I'm being productive at all. I'm just doing stuff, but I'm not making money. I'm not progressing in either direction. So I have to pick one. So after a couple of years of, of trying to do the acting thing and not really enjoying it and not getting anywhere, I thought, screw it. I'm going to go back to teaching languages only. I'm going to be a linguist because that's what I originally was anyway. Then I did that for about four years. So basically until last fall. Um, and again, it, it was okay. It certainly paid a lot better than the acting uh, and the various office jobs that I had. But again, I wasn't really all that fulfilled because languages are something that I love and I happen to be good at, but I don't know if it's something that I want to do for a living. So around fall last year, I decided I want to dip back into my acting training and do that full time because I've been using bits and bobs of it anyway, because you know, your client wants to learn German because they want to go for an interview at a German-speaking company or they want to move to Germany or Switzerland or whatever. We would do role plays for interviews in a way. We would do role plays of presentations. I would right. teach them some of those techniques anyway. They would love them. They would get results. I thought, I might as well just go whole hog because I've been a reluctant linguist for almost a decade now. <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. So I focused fully on that. And I think that's when the magic started happening. I was like, yep. This now, this feels good. This feels not just, well, I have to make money somehow. So I guess let's teach languages because that's what people are willing to pay for. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're essentially working with teaching presentation skills to business owners. Yeah. Why did you decide that that was the, that was the group of people that you wanted to, to work with and help? Uh, because it is booming right now. I mean, people need to get themselves online. LinkedIn gets more and more users every day. So um, it's something that I went through myself because, as I said, I didn't want to be on social media. I didn't want to put myself out there on video and whatnot. But once I started doing that, that's when people started showing up and saying, oh, I saw your video. I feel like I know you. You know, I'd like to book you, etc." So a lot of business owners are going through the exact same process where they realize the power and the impact of video. It's the most powerful, I think, form of content. Yeah. Uh, on LinkedIn, it gets fewer views usually than text, but it cuts so much deeper. So I thought this is where th this is the, the niche. This is where I can add the most value. This is where I can help people make the most impact in the least amount of time. So this is what I want to go for. Basically, it wasn't a hard decision once I saw the power and the impact of video. Yeah, well, one of the one of the reasons why I do. I mean, I, I focus more particularly on service business owners, and mm -hmm. a lot of my clients are. Um, coaches and speakers as well and I have a few authors in my clientele mm -hmm. and um, a, a number of people from my from my business owner network so I, I work better probably personally with with entrepreneurs mm. but that's mainly because those are the people who I who I know in the environments I'm most connected in I guess mm. so it probably makes sense that uh, and there's probably reasons for that that I haven't really spent too much time looking into as well. Mm. But one thing I do think that is particularly important with public speaking, and um, would be interested to hear your thoughts on, some of the stuff I, I've been reading, um, and I do a lot of it, is about mm. uh, AI and that uh, mm. 
we're already the many jobs are being replaced in the workforce by mm. AI, by robots, and that as we progress, the majority of jobs that really don't require any um, empathy, I would say, that don't re re yeah. really require human creativity, if you like, mm. or connection. Those mm. jobs will be replaced. They, they mm. will be replaced by algorithms. They will be replaced by robots. It's already happening. It doesn't mm. get addressed nearly as much as it should because mm. this is a, an AI revolution that's already in progress. Mm. And I do think, you know, I've seen people saying that public speaking skills and presentation skills really uh, hit this nexus of being in the area of you have the empathy connection with people and that the two industries that will probably still thrive and look to still be thriving and booming are mm. education and entertainment. Mm. And so we're in that sort of nexus of the two of those. Mm. What, what are your thoughts in this area? I never saw it this way. That's a really good point. I guess it, it does make you sort of difficult <laughs> to become obsolete if you're doing something that is really hard for a machine to to replace because you know we live in the era of social media but it's almost like the anti-social media half the time you know people are connected to way more people than ever on a very superficial way yeah but the actual connection i think that we're i'm not a psychologist but the actual connection that makes a difference to our mental health i think is the deep kind of connection to feel understood to feel um, like someone gets you to feel like you're important to someone and a bunch of likes is probably not going to fill that hole. So, and, and that goes for um, AI as well. I guess it's not going to make you feel less lonely is going to be my assumption. <laughs> right. Even if they can create virtual entertainers or virtual, I don't know, like robots who sing, perform, do whatever. I don't know how far along it's, it, it is at this point. Um, so people like us who can, who can who can help create those connections, I think we have the competitive advantage. Um, yeah, that's pretty much how I view it. I think I think we're already in a world where people have relationships with automatas <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and with computer game characters and the likes, often more than they do with people in reality in in the yeah. real world. That mm. that's already there as people who are essentially so introverted perhaps mm. and so lacking in social interaction skills mm. that their whole life is um, online, their whole interaction is online and they don't maybe even know now how to communicate mm. with people outside of that. Um, mm. I, don't know, I, mean, I don't know how far that extends, but I know it's there. Yeah, it's definitely there because you see it in the news, but I want to believe that there's a reason it's in the news, so that's the exception for now, not the rule. Uh, and I think even those people who do that, they probably end up there as opposed to actively choosing it, as you said, because they might um, be too stressed in social situations or because they might not have any other paths that they can take in that moment. So they, they choose to whatever, marry their robot or, or whatever the deal, like their Hoover, whatever their deal is. Um, but I think they're probably still, if they had the option, they would still choose a human being because it would Maybe. just create a different kind of connection. Yeah, I think some of it, some, and, and for myself, some of my introversion has perhaps come from that um, civil society is, a civilized society isn't so civil anymore, and that uh, people are often quite uh, aggressive, confrontational, and, mm. uh, and really not so nice, especially in the online world where yeah. you know, people seem to have the, the freedom through yeah. anonymity to say mm. stuff that they 
they might they might never say in person. Yeah. But I do also think that environment has created a, an external environment in the real world where people do feel more emboldened because they mm. get away with it online and that culture's mm. there online, that it's happening more in person as well, making mm. a lot more confrontation, a lot more division. Mm. It's probably a, a big path to, to go down and it's not directly relevant to us, but it's an interesting yeah. interesting note to make. I want to I want to come back to you then uh, about business business owners and yep. why it's so critical for mm. business owners to be giving better presentations and ask mm. you where would you start with somebody that you are going to work with in terms of helping them present themselves better. Mm. Um, if they're a complete beginner, is that what we're assuming? Like they've never yeah, done this, or they've done it? They oh. are inexperienced in business. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so where we would start is the the main, I would call it four pillars. That's not a trademark. You can call it whatever you want um, of technique, which would be body, breath, voice, and dynamics. By body, I'm including the face, obviously, like your whole physical body. So I would get them to really drill down the techniques because um, there's a certain phase that you have to go through in the beginning where you might be a bit stiff because that whole thing, the technical stuff feels unnatural. Yeah. So you're going to be standing there. And that's maybe the point where you put that video online where it was still not, I don't want to say automatic, but it was not that intuitive. So you have to go, it's like any other skill. So when people start driving in the beginning, they usually have to focus 100% on the driving. Like if you talk to them, they're going to freak out. If you can't play music in the car, you know, anything can distract them because it takes 100% of their attention. Um, So you have to get through that phase before you ease into it and it becomes a bit more intuitive and a bit more second nature and then you can start multitasking on top so in the beginning it would be stuff that to most people feels quite uncomfortable to sit there and do vocal warm-ups like you know like what what, why should i do this like what's that going to help i'm not going to get up on stage and start trilling my lips and i tell them of course you're not but that's the prep that you have to do because if you've ever learned to control your voice yeah. You're not going to be able to just magically do it under pressure. Like, guess what? You're going to get up on the stage and be like, huh? And your voice is going to cut out because you have too much tension <laughs> in your throat. So we would start with really basic stuff um, that gives you access to your full range of expressions. You know, we would warm up your entire vocal range. We would do exercises and massages for your throat. Your breath is so important because most people breathe incorrectly. They breathe into their chest. They take shallow breaths. So, where your shoulders rise and your chest rises, whereas it should actually be into your core, into your diaphragm. So you would breathe like a baby where the stomach expands and contracts like a balloon. Um, We would work on how they stand because it's really hard to feel A, comfortable and B, flexible. If if your stance is really weird and unnatural and stiff, we would really start in very technical stuff. And once that stuff start sinking in and they've done it a few times or a few dozen times, depending on how fast they learn, then then they usually the magic happens when they start self-correcting automatically. Like sometimes they'll do something, they'll sub and go back and do it with a correct breath or or change your body language. It'll be like, that's amazing. I didn't even have to tell you that because right now the technique is starting to take hold. So you're starting to experience what correct as an healthy and effective feels like so you kind of adjusted yourself so i want to get them to that stage where they can start um self-analyzing at least a little bit and they're like oh that that breath was weird or my voice just gave out or i started or i said something and my voice said the polar opposite of what my words said because it was like 
hi, I'm really excited to be here and it's super monotone. You know, I want to get them to that stage where, where it starts getting a bit second nature and they can start self-feeding back, if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. And and I was thinking back to, I, I went to music school when I was mm. much younger, mm. uh, not because I'm so especially talented, it wasn't, mm. and it wasn't like fame either. Uh, no leg warmers, nothing yeah. quite boring, really. Oh, and, uh, no dancing on cars. <laughs> and I realised that this reference, I know there was recent fame, but I'm talking mm. about the sort of 1970s film, mm. which I still <laughs> think is a classic. Mm. Um, but uh, when you're learning a musical instrument, even if it's the art of voice and singing um you don't start off just doing it and then come to the technique later off yeah later on even you you start with the technique and the theory alongside everything else as well with the practical stuff too Mm. and this is one of the things that because technique is harder to teach later on when you've already got into bad habits when you've already learned how to do something one way you have to unlearn it again so you have to start with the technical stuff ideally early Mm. on Uh, and this maybe is where i think one of the things that perhaps shouldn't don't really want to criticize toastmasters too much because i love it but uh, but (laughs) but where they where they can't really do that because it's Mm. lessons it's not classes it is a club to Mm. practice public speaking so if you Mm. actually want to be really good if especially if you're looking to be professional or at least present yourself professionally Mm. you're right this stuff is is really really critical to get early on and Mm. have that technique as a foundation for everything that you build on you use the keyword i was going to say foundation yeah (laughs) exactly that's that's the base and then everything else builds from there because going out on a stage or these days on video uh, you can feel as fierce and confident and whatever as you want. But if you lack the ability to engage the audience, then the video is not going to have the impact. And that doesn't mean, because you said professional, I think a lot of people, um, they think because they're doing it for their business, and I'm not saying professional as in be a paid speaker somewhere, like be a keynote speaker. Professional can mean you are a copywriter or you are a marketer, whatever, and you want to do videos on LinkedIn because you know that's what's going to cut through the noise and get people a real taste of you, and you can't actually do that effectively. That's what I mean by professional. So you have to get the foundation down because, yeah, you need to be able to engage the audience. And one of the biggest um, beefs, so I'm going to rant again, one of the biggest beefs that I have with most uh, coaching and self-help about public speaking, even, even books, like if you look on Amazon, books on public speaking and presentations, most of them, uh, I'm trying to choose my words wisely now. Um, most of them approach it in a very backwards way as far as I'm concerned. So it's all about inner stuff and you feel this and you feel that and you feel more confident and you unleash your inner fierceness, whatever, woo-woo. Um, and I think, but that's the wrong way to go about public speaking because it's public speaking for a reason. <laughs> you are yeah. there for your audience, meaning it's not about you. That's what they would keep yelling at us at drama school all day, every day. It's not about you. It's not about you. You're not here to be like, oh my God, look how amazing I am. And so you can bask in the attention of other people. Because if you are there just to, yeah, if you're there just to feel good about yourself, you're going at this backwards. I mean, there are A, way more effective ways to feel good about yourself that don't involve hogging up someone else's time. (laughs) And B, If you are a good, as an effective, impactful public speaker, you are there for other people. You are there to give 
something, to give, to teach, to impart, to gift something to other people. So if you're seeing it as, oh, but how do I feel when I'm on stage? Like, why are you focusing on yourself in the first place? Focus on your damn audience. That's who you're here for. Focus on them. Yeah, rant over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really happy to, to yeah. hear you say that you don't like the sort of woo-woo stuff. I'm not a fan of it myself. Yeah. And I, I have learned a lot of it. And yeah. I even probably was into it for a while and then started to realize that it wasn't really me. I didn't really believe that stuff. Mm. And I like kind of scientific stuff that works and has been tested and shown to work. Um, mm. that stuff that's just sort of someone's anecdote about, oh, you know, well, I did this and then it changed my heart and I was able to go, so, well, that's nice. <laughs> maybe that maybe that works for some people, but it doesn't really help because mm. it's, it's a little bit vague and yeah. also it's not really necessarily replicable. Uh, yeah. And people are trying to force something sometimes to work that may or may not. It's more like taking a placebo, really, in, in yeah. my opinion. And this is just my opinion. You know, some, that stuff works for somebody. Some, pe some people have great results with it all. Fine. Mm. But for me, uh, and maybe for you as well, it's not really, yeah. uh, not really mm. the best practice. Yeah, I mean, that kind of hits two two points at once. So one, I am also like you. I'm very analytical. I guess this is where you can see that I'm Swiss. I'm very like, like nuts right. and bolts, analytical. So abstract infuriates me, but that's a personal preference. Mm. Um, on the on the side of yeah, like uh, feel your heart and like unlock your third chakra or whatever, <laughs> that stuff. It's not just that it's abstract because on some people who are wired more that kind of woo woo abstract way, it might work, but it's not going to work the way that the giver of the advice thinks that it's going to work. It might make them feel better about themselves. That th it does not mean that they will be more effective in giving to the audience, which is what it all comes down to. It's like, think of your audience. You know, some advice that I give might be slightly more abstract when I say, focus your energy on the audience or think of the audience. You know, that's not hard technical, like right. whatever, you need more pharyngeal resonance. Um, but it is still something that is aimed at the audience and is aimed at, you know, in service of the other. That's what it comes down to. Like, I think potentially if you're just wired differently, let's say not like us, and you work with people who are more woo-woo minded, if you can still bring it down to focusing on the other and giving and serving the other, I think it could still potentially work. Just not on us, because we need more specific advice. We'd be like, what does that mean? Um, that's that's a question that I kept asking at drama school. Sometimes, because a lot of artsy-fartsy people are quite sort of <laughs> abstract-minded. And yeah. sometimes I would get notes, you need to drop in you, you need to feel this more, you need to drop more into you need to own the the space. And I'm like, what does that mean? Tell me what you want me to do. Don't tell me what you want me to feel. That's not a useful note. Yeah. But it worked for some of my classmates. As long as it serves the audience, it's it's fine, I think. Right. I have a, I have a friend who, who gives uh, uh, presentations all in abstract and by the end yeah. of it you're left thinking, what did I just listen to? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. I, you know, I, I there's a place for it, and I, I'm not mm. completely averse to it either. But mm. if someone, like, much like yourself, if someone's coming to, to learn and train with me, they're not going to get that really. Uh, and mm. if that's what they're expecting, they're going to be a bit disappointed. I like mm. technical stuff. I like stuff that definitely works, that I've used and it works, that yeah. other people have used and it works. It's replicable. It's proven. Yeah. That's my preference. Uh, and yeah. that, that's where I'm going to go with, with clients as well. So it makes sense. Mm. Something you put out, uh, I don't, I don't want to keep you too much longer here, but something you put out I that I really, really liked um, mm. 
I think it was only just a few days ago from us recording this, was a metaphor about the cooking. Uh, yeah. One, yeah, the, the, That's the, the thread cheese that we cake might upset me a little bit, but the metaphor yeah. was very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, so I find that when I put advice out there, which is why I like videos so much, because people can see who you are. So if you're not the right person for them, they're probably just not going to engage. So they're going to see that I'm hard on the technical stuff. And I mentioned technique like 175 times a day. Like technique, like take a shot every time I say technique, you'll be drunk by the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and I make such a big fuss about that. And sometimes people push back. Like if I make a video, which I do quite often, where I show technical advice, like a vocal warm-up, breath work, body language stuff, whatever, I'll get dissenting voices on a regular basis that are like, yeah, but what about confidence? What about mindset? What about, isn't that important? I'm like, oh, not really all that much. <laughs> I don't want to disappoint you, but people really push back against that notion. Yeah. Um, and actually today I wanted to publish part two of that video. So you might see it later today because part one was the metaphor with the cooking and part two is why people push back against the notion that technique is important. And I think they push, not a psychologist again, but my idea is that they push back against this notion of technique is important because technique is not sexy. That, that's the simplest way. It's not sexy. It's not like a shiny new, you know, uh, thing like mindset. Everything is mindset now. If you notice on LinkedIn, everything is mindset. Everything yeah. is mindfulness. It's not sexy and exotic and disruptive and agile and whatever other hashtags. Process really is. Um, yeah. It's, it's like really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like when you, and I mentioned this in the video as well, it's kind of like, for example, um, if you lose weight, then a lot of people are going to be asking you, how did you do it? And when you tell them the truth, which is I ate less because that's the only <laughs> freaking way, they're going to be so disappointed that they expect you to say, oh, but I like, I took Tibetan salt crystals and put them under my pillow. And then three times a day, I would eat a single kale leaf blessed by a monk. Like they expect you to say something. <laughs> they want to believe that there's just match this silver bullet. And if you get that one random thing, it's just going to shatter the whole existing paradigm. Yeah. And that's not how it works. And I think that's why people push back against technique. They think if they just get in front of a mirror every morning and are like, you are sexy, you're fierce, and you got this, boom, they're going to be a good public speaker. But they're not. <laughs> they're really right. not. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is true. I, I don't know if you've ever read Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, but um, mm. that's one of the things that, that he talks about in there is, is the process of stuff. And that's what we have to get a bit more focused on, like mm. the results. Everyone tends to focus on the end result. Everyone wants their movie montage, their karate kid montage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting to the end result as quickly as possible, like uh, you know, thirty seconds or a minute or so later, you're there. Yeah, that it is. You're, just, you're just an affirmation away. I'm like, no, you're not. You're really, really not. <laughs> no, you're not. And, and and perhaps this is where we have done ourselves disservice as a society mm. to a greater degree because we we present this illusion that these things are easily achievable or that they can be mm. achieved in very short spaces of time and generally they can't it takes mm. a lot of time and some level of commitment but mm. you know you wouldn't you wouldn't really expect to go into any high level job or any high level mm. position without having experience without having knowledge with without being able to prove yourself in that mm. well. why should public speaking be any different it's it, I think it is one of the most essential things because if you look at who have been the most influential people throughout history, mm. they have 
I'm almost without exception, maybe well, probably there are some notable exceptions and people will come back and tell me, I'm sure, but, <laughs> uh, but very, no, a huge amount of them mm. were very good at presenting themselves, very good at public speaking, yeah. and, you know, very good at sometimes the, the sound bites and saying the right mm. thing to the, to the right people. Mm. And often there was a, a whole team behind that as well mm. that were helping them to speech write and come up with pithy phrases mm. that were going to stick in people's heads and, and the yeah. likes. Um, yeah. But, you know, great orators, great um, rhetoricians, I'm going to say that, that's a hard word to say. I'm uh, getting the Greek word because it's a Greek word, but I'm not getting the English one. <laughs> but, uh, but I can't think of rhetoricians. I think that may be the right word. Le- again, In sorry. Greek, it would be rhetors, but I don't think that would be the English one. <laughs> <laughs> so Someone will come back and tell us in the yeah. or something, I'm sure. Um, but... Uh, yeah, the, those are the people who had the greatest sway, the greatest influence. Mm. And, uh, you know, in uh, just this morning, I was listening to uh, something about great public speaking uh, that mm. was talking about um, ancient Greece, ancient Rome, the, the senators and the public figures there. Um, if you couldn't speak well in public, no one would pay any attention to you. No one would even listen. Yeah. And, and that is really just as true now. Mm. Because the people who stick in, your, in our heads as being like the greater leaders, perhaps. Yeah. Um, no, I'm thinking, okay, names that come into your head might be people like Steve Jobs. I think I'd take Warren Buffett as well because people mm. listen to him and he's he's a good speaker. Mm. Um, but it's the people who can speak well who understand how these things work. Either they know it or they're just good at it. Um, mm. Some people do pick this stuff up naturally as well. Yeah. Um, they are the people who have the greatest sway and, and the greatest influence, rightly or wrongly. You know, people people have been led into various religions and cults and all sorts of things yeah. because of being persuaded by yeah. somebody giving a presentation, somebody mm. talking from the front of the stage. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're not going to have to get to that level, like if you're a small business owner <laughs> and you're coming to us for that. You don't have to get to quite that level where you have to, like... Uh, you know get together an army um you can potentially get great results in a short amount of time but it depends on what great means in your context if you just want to go from helpless and absolutely breaking it to actually doing something decent like this that can happen in a relatively short amount of time but it depends like if you want to be a professional speaker if you want to do a ted talk yeah you're going to have to invest quite a lot and that's that's yeah that's that takes a commitment as you said that's a good word um, and that's what takes drilling the technique and people really push back against that. People will try to debate me on that. But I did this and I felt more confident. I'm like, oh, great. Did you get any better? Crickets. Um, and I use the metaphor for cooking because I think yeah. it's like people push back too much when I use it in the literal way. So I'll use a metaphor for it. So the metaphor for those of you who have not seen that video, which would be most of you, um, was about if we get half a dozen people and we give everybody the exact same ingredients, quality and quantity, what do you think is by far the biggest differentiator? Like whose food is going to be the healthiest and the tastiest? And if you pose it this way, pretty much everyone in the right mind is going to get the solution to that riddle. You're going to say, well, the person who's the best cook, like that's my point. Skill, (laughs) not mindset. Like if I put cumin in my cheesecake, it's going to taste like crap. It doesn't matter how amazing (laughs) I feel about it. That was the bit that upset me. (laughs) Exactly. Human and cheesecake. Yeah, I needed to get something that is going to upset everyone <laughs> just to <laughs> drive the point home. I was like, if you put cumin in the cheesecake, it doesn't matter how confident you are about your cooking. It doesn't matter how fierce you felt in that moment. What the, the audience is going to receive is, ugh. And that's exactly how it works with public speaking. It doesn't really matter all that much how you feel about yourself. Because as I said at the beginning of this, 
they can't read your mind anyway. They can only read your body language, your voice, your choice of words. They can only really get what you're putting out there, not what's going on inside your head. That's between you and yourself, really. Sadly, we need to wrap things up, but but it's been a real pleasure talking Mm, to you. And I have one question I like to end on. uh, Well, Mm. two really, but I'll put them in together. One is um, a book or resource that you would recommend for people. might be about presenting or it might just be something you think everyone should read this. And also Mm. how people, the best way for people to find out more about you and contact you. Mm. Ooh, a book or resource. Um, the one that comes to me, which you probably get all the time, is how to win friends and influence people. That's not strictly <laughs> speaking. Yeah, that's not. No one said it. Oh wow. Um, Dale Carnegie, which is it's a real. It's not really presentation, strictly speaking, mm-hmm. but it's a book on um, social skills and charisma. Because again, people see that as something that is set in stone, and you have it or you don't, which is not true. You can learn those things. That's a really good book. That even. I read it after I went to drama school because it was recommended there. And I was like, oh, a lot of that stuff is good. And it's stuff where my mind wouldn't naturally have gone. Yeah. Um, the second question was what? How people can contact me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one of the most important ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, I My website is not up yet, but depending on whether, like when this gets aired, it might already be up. So it will be the introvert mentor, one word, dot com. It might or might not be live yet by the time you publish this. And the other would be LinkedIn for right now. That, that's the most surefire way to find music. Will be are you going to add it to like the link to your show notes? I will put it all in the show yeah. notes for because my surname is so long. Yeah, yeah, I think people will enjoy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure people enjoy your videos on on LinkedIn as much as I do. Mm. Oh, thank you. You have a, a good uh, a, a good mind, a good view on mm. things as well. It's interesting mm. to hear. Nick, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. I would have thank loved to have kept talking to you much longer. Maybe we can mm. chat again in the future. We'll, yeah. we'll see. But, uh, but it's been a real pleasure. And mm-hmm. uh, thank you. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, please make sure to like and subscribe and come back for more great episodes and chats with amazing people. If you think you'd be a good guest for the podcast or you know someone who would, or you think I'd be a good guest for your podcast, please feel free to get in touch. You can email me, john at presentinfluence.com. If you think I'd be a good speaker for your event, or you'd like to learn more about public speaking, presentation skills, whether that's online or in person, creating online products and services, video content, having clarity, confidence, and charisma in all of doing that, then please shoot me an email or visit my website, presentinfluence.com and I'll see you there.